you have your Bibles uh, or you, you have, uh, you're following along on an app, if you want to turn with me to Psalm 86, 1 through 13. Psalm 86, 1 through 13. Uh, starting, if you notice, we're trying to save paper now. And so uh, we went with a half sheet bulletin. We're going to see how this goes for us. Uh, if you don't have a, a Bible app or you don't have a physical Bible, we're also going to uh, have, the, uh, have the verses on screen behind me. So you can also follow along there as well. But for those of you who, ha- who can choose your app, uh, can choose your version, we're looking at the English Standard Version of that text. Psalm 86, 1 to 13. Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my life, for I am godly. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you do I cry all the day. Gladden the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. In the day of my trouble, I call upon you, for you answer me. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord, my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. For great is your steadfast love toward me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. Amen. Uh, Well, if you've been with us for the past uh, month or so, you know that we are in a series in the book of Philippians, actually, but uh, we're actually going to hit pause on that series for one week uh, in light of Thanksgiving coming up uh, this Thursday. Thought it'd be great for us for a moment for, for me to preach on the subject of gratitude, okay? Uh, Now, Psalm 86 is an interesting psalm, and it's actually uh, a psalm known as a psalm of lament, okay? And there are many different kinds of psalms uh, in the Bible, and psalms of lament are a collection of psalms that uh, express deep sorrow or grief uh, that are written from the perspective of people who are going through difficult moments in their lives. They're, They're going through some kind of affliction, and probably you're asking, why would you pick a psalm of lament? Why would you pick such a dark psalm to preach on Thanksgiving, to preach on the subject of gratitude? And I would argue that some of the greatest examples of gratitude that we have in the Bible uh, are actually uh, written from the perspective of those for whom we would look at their lives and we would say they probably don't have that much to be thankful for. Uh, if you notice in the first seven verses of this psalm, I mean, this, this person uh, we know is King David, and he's in the pits. It says, incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. It says, save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Preserve my life. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you do I cry all the day. The first seven verses of this psalm talk about how horrible this person's life is. And yet when we look through scripture, we start to realize that some of the greatest examples of gratitude come from those who most of us would think objectively had very little to be thankful for. Uh, There's an author named Greg Easterbrook. He writes about this uh, in his book called The Paradox Progress, uh, How Life Gets Better While People Feel Worse. 
And it's so true that we live in a world, we live in a Western world that by all measures, by all metrics, has probably uh, gotten better over time. We probably live in the most comfortable, we live the most comfortable life of any generation before us. And yet we know that mental health uh, is a huge issue right now. Uh, Mental illnesses are at an all-time high. People are feeling more anxious than ever. People are feeling more lonely than ever. What's going on? That oftentimes it's not actually happy people who are grateful. Uh, There's a a famous TED Talk in 2013 by a a Benedictine monk named Brother David uh, Stendhal Rost. And he talks about this dynamic, dynamic and he says, you know... During the course of my life, I've looked around and I've realized something very interesting, that it's not happy people who are grateful because I know a lot of people who have everything that it would take for them to be happy and yet they're not grateful. He said, I actually, having lived life, I realized that it's actually grateful people who are happy. It's not happy people who are grateful, it's grateful people who are happy. Put another way, gratitude is about perspective. Uh, A few years ago, uh, many of us who live in California know that we were in a severe drought. Uh, We did not have water uh, for a long time. Rivers had dried up, and people were very worried. Uh, People were going to say, people were saying within a few years, we were going to run out of water as a city. And I remember I had friends during that time visit me from the East Coast during the winter. They were super excited. They heard that California is 75 degrees all year long. Uh, You get to go to the beach. Uh, They wanted to get out of the polar vortex uh, in Philadelphia. So they came over here and it rained for two weeks straight. I don't know if you remember this. It rained for two weeks straight, and uh, I I looked at their Instagrams, and all, all week long they were posting about how L.A. was overrated. Uh, uh, everything was pff, LA 75 degree weather it's been raining the entire time this is the worst trip ever I hate Los Angeles I'm never coming back and yet it was so interesting because all my LA friends were posting pictures of the rain saying praise Jesus thank you so much same exact circumstances two different responses one grumbling one gratitude the only difference was perspective perspective I'm sure that some of you in this room are people who could walk into a room and immediately decide what's wrong about that room. I know you guys exist. My wife is one of them, okay? You can walk into a room, walk into a situation, have a conversation with someone and immediately tell you, there's some, you know, this needs to go there, that sign's in the wrong place, that's not on a 90 degree angle, that's a little bit crooked. And there are some people who would walk into the same room and say, everything's great. It's amazing. I'm sure there are people who would walk into this church and immediately think, think through, well, there are things about this church that I don't like. I don't really like how they do their music. I don't like how they, how they preach their sermons. I don't like uh, how they, how they you know, position their welcome booth. And there are other people who would walk into this church and look around and say, there are hundreds of people in a city like Los Angeles, a post-Christian city where there is no reason for someone to forego Sunday brunch and come out to church and sing songs and listen to the word preached. But this is amazing. That there is a community of people here joining their voices and joining their hearts to worship God. Same exact situation two different perspectives. One leads to gratitude, one leads to criticism. 
And when we look at Psalm 86, we see a man who has an interesting perspective. If we notice, David is a broken man. Verse 3, be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you do I cry all the day. Glad in the soul of your servant, listen to my plea for grace. Verse 7, in the day of trouble I call upon you. This isn't someone loving life. David is exhausted, he's beat down, he's probably not someone who would post something on his Instagram with the hashtag blessed. Okay, we know that uh, David is not enjoying his life, his situation right now, and yet, whereas we often say, thank you, when, we, when there is evidence of God's presence in our lives, here we have a picture of gratitude when there is no evidence of God's presence. In fact, one could argue that the most powerful examples of gratitude we have in the scripture, the most powerful examples of gratitude are those thank yous that are said when we are helpless when we are in the loneliest seasons of our lives. Many of you who are married know that some of the greatest acts of love, some of the greatest moments when you experience love are those moments when you don't feel it. For those of you who are parents, you know that some of your greatest victories as a mom or dad are on those days when you don't feel like being a parent. But it's all about perspective. Because that's exactly what we see here. After pleading with God for the first seven verses, there's this uh, crazy climactic moment in verse 12 when David says, in the midst of all of this, I give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. It's not I will give thanks to you when you show up. Not I will, thank, I will give thanks to you when you get me that job, when you get me that spouse, when you allow me to have children, when you fix my circumstances, when you bring me good health. He says, in the midst of my loneliest season, I give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. Now, some of you may be thinking, well, I mean, that sucks because uh, this completely favors people who are born with good perspective. That there, you know, some people are just naturally people who love to look on the bright side, okay? And some people just like to criticize things. That's not fair. Um, I kind of was thinking of an example because I know we have kids here that the children would understand. But, and I think that's a legit question. Is it a personality thing? Are some people just better at saying thank you? Are some people just better at being grateful? And I would say there are two kinds of people in the world. There are Tigger people. And there are Eeyore people, okay? Tigger people are people who are high on life, okay? Nothing gets them down, okay? Everything they eat is the best thing they ever ate, okay? It's the best version of that thing. It's people who, you know, they're always, they always got a smile on their face. Uh, nothing bothers them. Uh, you know, everything is okay. Everything's going to be okay, and then you have uh, Eeyore people. And these are people uh, for whom everything sucks all the time. They are always down. Everything is that sad emoji. Everything, there is a gripe for everything. They are the yeah, but people. Yeah, that's great, but. Yeah, she's awesome, but. Every time you ask them how they're doing, their response is surviving, right? They're the brooders, the artists in the room. 
Now, Tiggers and Eeyores cannot understand each other. Okay, they struggle with each other. Because Tiggers uh, don't understand, why is everything so hard for you? Why are you so sad all the time? Like, why can't you look on the bright side? Eeyores can't understand Tiggers because they think they're naive. They think they're idealistic. They think they actually don't see the world as it really is. Uh, and they, they feel like they lack empathy and they suppress their problems. And yet David in Psalm 86 is neither a Tigger or an Eeyore. Which makes us realize that gratitude is not a disposition, it's a decision. Gratitude is not a natural disposition, it is a conscious decision. Because if you look at Psalm 86, on one hand, David does see the world as it really is. He doesn't sugarcoat it. He doesn't suppress it. He spends the entire first part of the psalm talking about how horrible his life is. And yet what we see in verse 12 and 13 is someone who has developed a certain ability to see beyond the circumstances and to still say thank you. To see beyond what he's going through and maintain a certain kind of perspective. And you see, David teaches us that this is not a natural position, but this is a posture that has to be learned. We actually have to train our souls and train our minds to be grateful because notice what David says right before he says, I give thanks. The verse right before that, he says, teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name, meaning I know that I don't always have the right perspective. Meaning, I know that I'm not naturally disposed to gratitude. Meaning, I know that this is not my natural way of thinking, but teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. Our souls have to be rewired. They have to be retrained because we simply lack the ability to notice what God is doing in our lives. And now, I'm going to tell us why that's so hard, okay? Because there are two hurdles, huge hurdles to gratitude. You're going to need to follow me on this. The two hurdles are God's goodness and our goodness. The two greatest hurdles to the kind of gratitude we see in Psalm 86 is God's goodness and our goodness. Now, you probably you're asking, well, how could God's goodness possibly be a hurdle to gratitude? How could that possibly make being grateful difficult? Let me explain. I want you to think about the people in your life who you thank the most, it's usually the people who are not consistent. They are not usually the people who are consistently good. I'll give you an example of this. Uh, I used to have a problem with coming to anything on time. Okay, I, I don't know why. I always came late to everything. Okay, I was, always, I was like a, if you said meet at 8.30, I was an 8.35-er. Okay, I always came a little bit late. Well, there was a time when I started coming on time and everyone around me was like, Thank you, Jason, for coming on time. After a while, it got very offensive, okay, because uh, you realize that oh, this must be not what I normally do because everyone's thanking me for it. If you're a husband uh, who gets thanked profusely every time you wash the dishes, you probably aren't washing the dishes that often. And we know this. It's not because God is not good. My guess is that God is too good. God's too goodness is the biggest hurdle to our gratitude. Because at some point, 
the things that were once exceptional become normal for us. Think about your parents. Think about the things that they do every day for you to survive. The food that they feed you. The bills that they pay to keep the lights on in their home. Think about everything that they do. We often don't thank them for it because these are so common and these are so expected that they're not surprises to us anymore. This is normal. Uh, there's, a, there's a really big viral video going around right now. A church put it out and it's going viral for Thanksgiving. But essentially it's this video where a guy wakes up in the morning and he's wrapped in a gift. Okay, he's wrapped in a gift. He's like, oh my gosh, I'm alive. He turns to his left and his wife is sleeping next to him and she's wrapped in a gift. He opens her up and he's like, she's alive. He goes to the bathroom, his toothbrush is wrapped in gift wrapping paper. And he's like, oh my goodness, I can brush my teeth. Thank you, Jesus. He opens the shower, hot water comes on, that's wrapped in a gift wrapping paper. He says, thank you, Jesus. He goes downstairs, his pancakes, his breakfast is wrapped in gift wrapping paper. He's like, thank you, Jesus. And the whole point of the video is to say, we're in this season where everyone wants to get gifts and everyone's wondering what they don't have and what they're missing. What are the deals out there so I can, I can get on that for Black Friday, not realizing that God has been good every moment, every second of our existence. We just don't see it because he's so good. He's too good. And when we walked in here, we didn't realize that for every moment we have breath. The fact that it's a beautiful day outside. The fact that we have a church full of people doing life with us. These kinds of things, we begin to take it, granted, take it for granted because God is so good. Uh, with our community groups last uh, month, we did an exercise called the Prayer of Examine. And it's this really amazing exercise where you literally take uh, just what you've done in that one day. You go back, you close your eyes, and you think through just what has happened over the last 24 hours. And you ask God, what, what are you most thankful for in that 24 hours? And the whole purpose of that exercise is for us to begin to notice even the most insignificant, ordinary things that represent God's grace to us, that represent God's goodness in our lives. And here's the crazy thing. I've done this exercise with so many groups, and very rarely do I ever hear something earth-shattering. The things that people mention for the things, for the moments they are the most grateful for, they're moments like this. They say, you know... Yesterday, I was cleaning out the garage and I looked out and I saw my family and I saw my kids riding a bike together. That was awesome. Thank you, Jesus. There was a community group leader who the one thing that she thought of was, you know, I was on the subway and I was reading a book and I remember this one line and I read it multiple times because it was such a picture of beauty. And I think, thanked God for that. Well, ever since I, I started doing that exercise with our community group leaders, I started, I started doing that exercise for myself on a daily basis. And here's the crazy thing that I discovered. Because I know that at the end of the day, I'm going to have to look back on, on, the, on the past 24 hours and determine that one thing that I'm grateful for, I begin to live my life trying to notice everything about God's grace in my life. 
Because I know that later on that day, I'm going to have to write it down in my journal. So I'm at the Starbucks. I'm getting a cup of coffee. And the guy smiles at me. And I go, boom, you're in my journal tonight, bro. <laughs> right? I start thinking because perspective is tied to what you notice. What you notice. But when we spend all of our time on social media and when we scroll through picture after picture after picture of what we don't have, reminders that our lives could look a little better, reminders that maybe God isn't that good in our lives, no wonder that's all we notice and no wonder our perspective is so limited. So you see, the first hurdle is God's goodness. The second hurdle is our goodness. Or let me put another way, our perceived goodness. You know, one of the big problems with human beings is that we have this tendency to start thinking that we deserve everything that we have. That we're in the jobs that we're in and we got into the schools that we did because we worked hard and because we earned it. Uh, I don't think any of you were conscious when you were in your mother's womb. You had no control over the type of family you were born to, born into. You had no control over where your family was living at the time. We had no control over a lot of things. And yet, there's something in the human heart that wants to believe everything that we have, we earned it. We deserved it. And something that David does, starting from verse 8 onward, is that he says, everything that I have is not my own. Because he starts to point to the source. Over and over again, he says... Verse 8, there is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. And what God is saying is, I am the giver of all things. I am the source. Every answered prayer, every job, every fiancé, Every, every uh, picture of good health in your life, I am the giver. Don't you ever confuse the gift with the giver. But we have this tendency, especially those of us in times of plenty, we believe that our good gifts are because of us. And in times of want, when we don't have, we believe our lack of good gifts is because of him. It's the craziest thing we do as human beings. We have an inflated view of our goodness. And at some point, we think we're owed by God. That God owes us a debt. That we deserve something. Look at the way I live my life. We look at other people who, you know, who seem to be succeeding, who don't, haven't been to church in years, and we say, what's going on, God? I've been at church for the last five years. I serve on the welcome team. I am one of the most faithful servants and yet, why is it that that person gets the job? Why is it that that person gets the marriage? Why is it that that person has healthy children? What about me? And it's our perceived goodness that makes us believe that God needs us, not the other way around. David refers to himself as God's servant several times in Psalm 86. So uh, we know that David is a faithful follower of God. The Bible also tells us that, the, uh, that David is a man after God's own heart. So we're talking about a professional Christian, someone who's, 
who loves God and who knows God loves him. David is also a king. He has achieved great worldly success. And yet the first line of the psalm says what? Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. There never comes a time when David does not recognize his utter dependence and need on Jesus. In the message translation, that verse is translated because I am one miserable wretch. I'm one miserable wretch. And you see, the gospel does two things for us. One, it reminds us of the fullness of God's goodness. It forces us for a moment to say God is good because he is the one who so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever should believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. He who did not withhold his own son but hung him on a cross for our behalf, that is a picture of God's goodness. But the gospel is also profound because it, it is the great equalizer of all things because it also reminds us that even our perceived goodness is not good enough. That every person in this room is in utter need and dependence of a savior. That nothing we have actually is our own doing. Everything we have is actually an undeserved gift of grace. And if we can understand this, I guarantee you that it will change our perspective, not from what's missing in my life or what do I not have, but it will change our perspective to how much more could I possibly ask for when the God of the universe has given us himself, when he has laid down his life for sinners like you and me. On the cross of Jesus Christ, we don't get a tigger view of the world. We understand our absolute brokenness. We understand our absolute weakness and inadequacy. But also on the cross of Jesus Christ, we don't get an Eeyore view of the world. Because when Jesus took all of our sins upon himself, when he died and he rose again, he gave us an eternal hope that though this life is difficult, though we suffer, though there is grief, though there is pain, that we look forward to an eternal hope to come. And when we realize that the God of the universe who did not withhold his own son is the same God who is in control of our lives, we're able to see even the ordinary gifts with a new appreciation. Because these are all just cherries on top. The fact that I have clothes to wear, the fact that we have an amazing worship team, the fact that we have a beautiful space to worship in, these are all cherries on top. But at the same time, knowing that this God is in control of our lives, it also gives us the power to say thank you even when it hurts, even when we don't want to, even when we don't feel like it, knowing that this God is always working for our good. You know, when I look at the life of Jesus, what I find so profound is that on the night that he was betrayed, he knew he was, on his, he was headed to the cross we, all, we often forget this uh, picture, but at the Last Supper, uh, the Bible says, Jesus took bread, he gave thanks, and he broke it. And that small, subtle detail of Jesus took bread, he gave thanks, and he broke it blows my mind. Because this is someone who knew where he was headed. He knew that in a few hours, he'd be in the Garden of Gethsemane, praying blood, sweat, and tears crying out to God, 
take this cup from me. He knew in a few hours that he'd be hanging on a cross. He knew he'd be spit at. He knew there'd be a crown of thorns placed on his head. Yet in that last supper, he took bread. He gave thanks and he broke it. And even for Jesus, it was this amazing realization that I don't feel it right now. That life, if I thought life was hard now, it's about to get even worse. And yet my destiny is in the Father's hands. And so for many of us, I just want to close with this encouragement for us. You know, Thanksgiving each year is an opportunity for us to count our blessings. But I think for a lot of people, especially at our church, Thanksgiving and Christmas can be a reminder of what we don't have. Can be moments where we feel extra lonely. Moments when we feel extra neglected. Extra sad. Many of us I know have lost loved ones very recently and the holiday seasons are always so difficult to stomach that. But if there's anything the life of Jesus, if there's anything the life of David teaches us, it's this, that we have a God who is good. We have a God who loves us, that even when it hurts, even when we're alone, even when we don't feel it, he's working for our good. And we can say, thank you. Let's pray. I want to give us a moment just in the quietness of our own hearts. Maybe if you haven't done this yet, maybe just think three things. It can be simple, ordinary things that you want to say, thank you. I know some of you who are hurting might feel like I have nothing to be thankful for, but I want you to just pause and remember that gratitude is about perspective. It's not brushing the difficult underneath a rug. It's not pushing it aside, but it's holding on to it and it's saying, but I give thanks to you anyway. Can we just take a moment to do that? God, thank you. Your goodness is without bounds. And God, you're so good that certain things in our lives we've begun to take for granted. We've begun to take the simple joys of life, the simple examples of beauty that we see every day, the simple relationships, the everyday conversations, parents who love us, children who love us. We've begun to take so many of these things for granted. And I pray that on this day, we would look, we would take a moment to pause and shift our perspective. That we would look up and we would see a God who gave all of himself in love for his people. We would see a God who loves us, cherishes us, values us, who knows us intimately and desires to have a relationship with us. And we thank you for that. I pray that we would look around and see a community, a community of people you have gifted us with, 
to be able to do life together, to experience pain and grief and walk through the gauntlet of life together. And so we thank you for that. We can say thank you for the rest of our lives and not even get, uh, get close to what you've done for us. So Lord, would you continue to fill our hearts with praise, fill our hearts with gratitude, give us a new perspective, teach us your way. In Jesus' name, amen.